Having been away last week and missing last week, I didn't realize it was only a one, it's a one stall men's washroom. And I'm surprised there's not a big lineup, but there must be another one downstairs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. There's another. There's two urinals down there. And they flush themselves, the urinals, every five minutes, just in case you need to know. That's awesome. I always like, you know what? You're a man after my own heart. I'd like to know all the, the key positions in the building. You got to know them. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Gary, and it seems like such a long time since I've been able to preach God's word here at my own church. Um, not that I own the church, but I'm part of this church and have been part of Christ Central for uh, quite a few years. Kind of feels like we're kind of doing it old school today. Angela's leading worship, Joe and Barb leading the meeting, and Gary's preaching. Kind of, it was throwback Sunday. And words on the papers. I was just waiting for Betty to break out the projector. Where are you, Betty? Betty, where are you? We need a projector, Betty, for next Sunday. You need to find one. We need it up here, and we need you to put the words backwards like you used to. Okay? Anybody who has dyslexia, you're going to have a great Sunday next week if Betty brings a projector. And, of course, in this politically correct age, I've got to apologize before I even get started. I've already put my, mouth in my, or my foot in my mouth by, by uh, offending people with dyslexia. It's all good, but uh, the bottom line is, is that I am really, really happy to be here uh, this morning. Barb and I just got back from a lovely holiday, and we really needed a break, and it's so great to just be able to get away, not have the phone ringing, and be able to lay on a beach. Like, that is awesome, and we had such a great time together, and here we are. We're back, and uh, really looking forward this morning to sharing God's Word. I feel that this morning I'm going to use Deuteronomy 31, so if you're, if you're wondering where I'm going to go this morning, seeing that there are no words behind me, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 31. And I just feel like God has put this word on my heart a number of weeks ago for the church, and actually I feel like God has put this word on my heart for churches that I'm going to be visiting this summer when we go to Africa. And so uh, I feel like this is, uh, without sounding too presumptuous, I just feel like this is a prophetic word that God wants to impart to us as well as to other churches in their context. But I believe as well in our church here, we're in just a very interesting stage of life. And so I'm going to expand on that a bit. But let's just dive right into the scriptures. I'll read the scripture and then I'm going to give a bit of background and context, and then I want to apply it to us today. And so Deuteronomy 31, verse 1, and you may have a subtext, subtitle there that says, Joshua to succeed Moses. It says, then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. So the nation's gathered. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The nation is gathered, and they had been traveling around the wilderness for 40 years, 
And the nation is gathered together, and he says, I am now 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you, and he will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. What a sight that must have been. And the Lord said to Moses, You're going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. Wait, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be encouragement. Isn't it? Like, there's a lot of questions firing off, and everybody's going to say, what? And we're going to skip down here to verse 23. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. So, just... I think it's important to paint a bit of a context here because outside of itself, this might seem very confusing. Deuteronomy is the last installment of Moses' biography. It was preached by Moses to all of Israel shortly before his death and not long before the conquest of the land under the leadership of Joshua. So if you skip ahead a few chapters, we end up with Moses and his death and then Joshua chapter 1 what is the phrase that's repeated four times in Joshua chapter 1? Anybody know? Well, anybody know? Be strong and courageous. And so Joshua chapter 1 picks up right where Deuteronomy ends. But Deuteronomy is a three-part motivational sermon, really. And so if you take Deuteronomy, it's a sermon. It's a, it's a recap urging Israel's faithful obedience to the covenant laws that were handed down to Moses at Sinai, given to him 40 years previously. We all know how that went. Reflecting on the nation's past mistakes, Moses urges the people not to repeat those mistakes when entering the promised land. And of course, Israel's entry fulfills the promises made to his predecessors. But there's a warning, and we already read it, that if they, if they fall into sin that they're going to be exiled. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, don't we? We know that the children of Israel failed 
And it all started good with Jericho, right? The walls came tumbling down. I don't know the songs. I wasn't raised in church, so I don't know all the kids' songs. But, you know, I, I came to the party a little late. But at the end of the day, I know that that's one of those songs. So everything started well, and then it kind of was pretty good after that, a little bit. And then as soon as they started to really move into the land, they started making some mistakes. There was a growing sense of disobedience. There was unfaithfulness. And before you know it, fast forward hundreds of years, you have a divided kingdom, complete anarchy happening in the nation, and the nations, both Judah and Israel, are taken into captivity into Babylon. So the circumstance of the sermon, Deuteronomy, carries an added significance because of Israel's failure a generation earlier to conquer the land of Kadesh Barnea on the southern border of, Can of Canaan. So if you go back to chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, you see the recount recounting of Israel coming shortly after leaving uh, Egypt, coming to Kadesh Barnea. They send the spies out. Who was among the spies? Joshua and Caleb. And they came back with a good report. Yeah, we can do this. We can go in there and we can, we can, we can kick some promised land, but we can go in there and do this. And the rest of them outnumbered Joshua and Caleb and they stuck with the bad report and ended up going in circles in, in the desert for 40 years. So this story kind of recounts that because now they're kind of in the same, not in the same geographical spot, but they're in the same spot where they're now ready to cross over and they've learned something after 40 years. Took a while. Sometimes I take a while, but they're ready to move in. And Moses, his heart is to ensure that they don't fail. God, though, says, I know they're going to. Constantly, do, uh, Moses is reassuring them of God's faithfulness and his power to keep his promises. Deuteronomy demonstrates God's real love for his people, his faithfulness and mercy for a sinful people because he's faithful to his promises that he gave to Abraham that, my, that your descendants, Abraham, will outnumber the stars in the sky, the sands of the shore. So he's faithful to his promises. He says, I'm going to get there somehow. Now of Moses, in chapter 34, it says that there was no prophet like Moses. The Moses is the greatest prophet whom the Lord knew face to face. And so that's significant because Moses is sharing this three-part sermon of Deuteronomy, and I don't have time to go in to break it all down, but take my word for it. It's broken into three sections. It's a prophetic sermon recounting the past and looking to the future. And so there's a prophetic indicator here that the people are going to fail. And you say, well, how could they fail? Because God was with them. And there's a reason why that they're going to fail and have a greater likelihood to fail. And that has to do with the fact that the new covenant had not yet been established and the Holy Spirit wasn't living within the people, but he was leading the people. You see the difference? And so Moses is the greatest prophet. But in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, there's a prophetic word that says, 
essentially there's an expectation that there's going to be a greater prophet be raised up. This is one who has seen God's face. And of course, that prophetic indicator is speaking about Jesus. And so Jesus has prophesied, Moses prophesies the arrival of Jesus in Deuteronomy 18. In Acts 3, Peter speaks to the crowd at Solomon's Colonnade, and he says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. It's Jesus. So Peter's saying what Moses said. What Moses said. This is what's happening. Anyone who does not listen to him completely will be cut off from their people. So these words of Moses to the people bear a prophetic weight for the nation of Israel as Joshua takes over the leadership of the nation. He's encouraging them of God's strength. He's encouraging them of God's courage. He's encouraging them that he is with them. He's doing all of these things. They're ready to cross over finally. Now Moses doesn't get to cross over. Time doesn't permit me to be able to tell you the essential details of why Moses doesn't get to cross over. But I can tell you this, that Moses was disobedient years back, and because of that, God said, look, you know what? You're going to take your people only so far, and you're not going to be able to cross over. Hence, Joshua is going to do it. So Joshua takes up the mantle of leadership and leads the people with the same promises. Four times we read in Joshua chapter 1, like you've just told me. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God will go before you. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, we understand that in the Old Testament, Jesus' blood had not yet been shed. The Old Covenant was still in place. And yearly, the high priest would go in, they'd sacrifice animals for the remission of the sins of the people, and not just for the remission of the sins of the people, but that God's presence would go before them, that God would lead them, that God would be with them. See, it's not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's about the fact that God's presence is with his people. And remember that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, he was not, as we said earlier, I implied earlier, he wasn't, in people's lives, in their actual bodies. He led certain people at certain times for certain great exploits. Certain circumstances. The people of Israel had the opportunity to take the land beginning with Jericho, but over time, like I said, they would be disobedient. They'd be unfaithful to God because the Holy Spirit wasn't in their lives. He was leading them from without. But this passage is a prophetic promise for us because in the power of the Spirit, He leads us as a church. He leads His church. And so just going back about a month ago, so that's a setup. Is that okay? Are you with me? Okay. So about a month ago, at one of our elders and wives' meetings, it was basically a worship and prayer meeting, it was an awesome time together, I just felt like the Lord spoke to me regarding our church. And actually, I felt that the Lord added to that this morning during worship. I was like, thank you, God, you know, like this now makes a little bit more sense. And 
what I sensed God saying during that meeting and this morning is that this is a time for us of consolidation, that we're in a period of consolidation. Now, you can view consolidation in one of two different ways. You can view consolidation as being like a holy huddle. We're just going to hold on until Jesus gets back. We're just, gonna, we're just all going to get together, and you know what? It's pretty bad out there, and so we're just going to all come to grips with, it, with that, and we're just going to, you know, like, let's build a bomb shelter. Let's get some, let's store up our water and our food, and we're just going to have this, we're going to consolidate. But that's not, in fact, that's the very opposite of what I felt the Lord saying about consolidation, because consolidation, I had a picture during worship the Lord said, I want, you to, I want you to relate. The consolidation is for a purpose. In fact, I had a picture of troops on a battlefield after having been through some tough slugging, battle-weary, tired, but still having some fight, and being called together by their commander, together on the battlefield, and the commander saying, okay, we're getting ready for another push. We're getting ready to go again. And he says, I'm with you. And so he pointed me to Deuteronomy 31. Interesting, there's a transitional leadership thing happening there, isn't there? What, have, what are we experiencing? We're experiencing a transition in leadership, aren't we? I'm not going to draw all kinds of comparisons and analogies to Joe and to Mark, you know, like, we're not going to say, Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> not going there. I could, really, I could really stick it to Mark because he's not even here. I could, you know. But it, keep going. But at the end of the day, it's a period of transition, but it's also a, pe a period of consolidation because God is pulling us together not to retreat, not to have a holy huddle. He's pulling us together for a push. He says, I want you together to push forward. I want you to be prepared because we're going to get our ranks and our files in a new order, in a new place, and we're going to go into a new land together. And we're going to do that together here in Fredericton, in our region, and to the ends of the earth. It's not just about Fredericton, although it does include Fredericton. It's bigger than that. It's not just about the Atlantic region. It's bigger than that. It's not just about Canada, as great as our nation is. It's bigger than that. It's about the nations. But you see, it's all of it together. It doesn't have to sacrifice one thing for the other. And so I felt that the Lord said to me, I want you to remind Christ Central of these truths. These are truths which, and I, we had a conversation, I think it might have even been this morning or yesterday amongst us that, you know, we can, we can hear these things and they can become cliche. They can become expressions that, we're, that we live with and it's like we take it kind of for granted. But God wants to get our attention. He says, I want you to consolidate. I want you to be reminded of my promises. My promises are for you. My promises, they come from my very mouth. 
And even though Deuteronomy 31 was written thousands of years ago, they're as relevant today as they were then. And he says, I want you to remind Christ Central that I am with them. I am with you. So excuse me, but I'm going to use the first person pronouns. I am with you. Christ Central, I am with you. I give you strength. I am the strength giver. I am the one who gives you courage. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. Let them know that I will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. Never. Now, those promises, and they are promises from the very heart of God for his church. I am with you. I give you strength. I give you courage. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's for us as a church. It's for you as individuals. It's for me as an individual. Church is made up of individuals. We're together. Some of you need to hear that as if it's for the first time that God is with you. He's with you personally. He's with you. He's with you closer than we've sung it this morning. Like He gives us breath. It's like his presence is with us. He gives us strength. When you feel weak, he gives you strength. He gives you the courage to put one more foot in front of the other. There are some of you that have had a hard time putting one foot in front of the other. God says, I'm giving you courage to do that and know that I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to be reminded and know, number one, that in the power of the Spirit, God is with us. So I'm going to unpack these four. Is that okay? Are you with me? Is it too hot? All right. It's going to be over before you know it. Trust me. We hope. Barb's keeping time. She's, doing, she's going to do this, and I, I want her to. She does this when, when it's ready. She goes. It's like. She knows I get stuck on bunny trails, right? You know, you know where the bunny trail was, right? There's one right now. There's one right now. Yes. All right. So point number one, promise number one, be reminded and know that in the power of the Spirit that God is with us. You see, the whole point of Scripture, this is the thing, the whole point of the story of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole point, the whole point was and is that God would dwell with His people. That's the whole point, folks. That is it. God to dwell with his people. That's the heart of God, is to dwell with us. If we're not careful, if we're too much the student of Protestant Christianity, the whole point of Scripture is the forgiveness of sins. No. Say what, Gary? Say what? Do you want to say that again? The whole point of Scripture is not the forgiveness of sins. The whole point of Scripture is that God would dwell with his people. How do we dwell once again with God and God with us? It's by the forgiveness of sins with the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. But the whole point is for him to live with us. His presence with you, with me. That's the point, right? God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He had friendship with Adam and Eve. 
They had relationship, but it's broken by sin when Adam and Eve desired to be as God. Could I unpack that one? That's a whole message or maybe a week's worth. But you get the drift? They rebelled against God because they wanted to be like Him. And so there was a plan set into motion to rescue us, to restore us. And I said, as I said, not just to right standing with God, but that we corporately and individually would be containers of His very presence. So the plan is put into play. So it's not just about being led by His Spirit on the outside, as good as that might have been for the Israelites, but by giving us a new heart and a new identity in Him. That's the point, you see. He wants to give us a new identity. In the job that I have as a day-to-day, I'm a school principal. And the biggest thing that my students and probably most of my parents struggle with is identity. Who are they? Who am I? That's it. In a nutshell, in our culture, it's identity, isn't it? The big deal isn't whether they're going to legalize marijuana on July 1st, 2018, although it's a big deal. That's not the biggest deal. The biggest deal is the contention for identity in our culture, in our world. It's identity. Who am I? You can do the math on that one. I don't have time to unpack it, but we could. But identity, our culture has a million questions about who I am, where did I come from, where am I going, what is this all about? The questions really haven't changed. The expression of the question has, right? (laughs) Ezekiel 36. But you see, here's what God wants to do. So the promises... Now, in hindsight, we can look back into the Old Testament under the Old Covenant and we can see the promises of God there. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will, through a prophet, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, identity. I will remove from your heart, from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a new heart in you so you can actually feel so you can actually respond to me, so that we can communicate together, so we can walk in the cool of the day. There's so much you could say about that scripture. I will put my spirit around you. No, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, this is not about legalism. You see, when he puts his spirit in us, we're motivated to follow him, right? I will follow you. <laughs> but you can follow him because he puts his spirit in you. You can follow him. He's like his spirit in my life. He's like the umpire. And I've used this analogy before, but it's been a while, so give me a break. But he's the umpire, so I'm swinging and waiting for the pitch to come. And the umpire, the spirit, don't swing at this one. You sure? Don't swing at this one. Okay, I won't. And when I decide to not take the advice of the umpire, see, it's a strange baseball game, isn't it? (laughs) It's an upside-down kingdom, folks. 
And the pitch comes, swing, batter, swing. And when you do, and you listen to the Spirit, He gives you success. He gives you, he gives you the things that we need to move forward in Him. See, we've already seen the promise of the one who is to come in Deuteronomy 18. But if you read Romans 5 and 6, and we don't have time to go there today, you'll read about this one to come. Paul calls him the second what? Anybody know? The second Adam. There's a reason why he's called the second Adam. The first Adam and his sin impacted and infected the whole human race. But how much more then will we be given new life by this new Adam? I mean, seriously. Take some time over the next couple of weeks, Romans 5, 6, 7, and just chew on that. I, I, I've been, I took three months just to read one chapter and just chewing on those every morning and taking notes and just writing those scriptures and like, this is... Like, I've been a Christian since 1982 and, you know, for most of my life and, and I, read, I still read these scriptures and it still fries my brain half the time. Like the impact of the truth that's there. He's the second Adam. He restores. You see, we're given a heart transplant. We're given this new heart that was promised in Ezekiel 36. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if we're in Christ... The old is gone, the new is here. God made him who had no sin to be what? Sin for us. See, Jesus, this second Adam, didn't commit any sins. He took our sin upon himself so that in him we might become what? The very righteousness of God. Like, that is incredible. Like, theologians call that the great exchange. I like that exchange. Works for me. There was a novel written a number of years ago. I don't even know who wrote it, but I know the title. I love the title. And it's referring to Jesus, the sin eater. He ate our sin. He said, you know what? I'm taking it all for you. I'm taking it. It's mine. And you get my, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my holiness. Not by anything you've done. You can't measure up. There's nothing you can do. You might as well try to Broad jump to the moon. There's nothing you can do. You get his holiness. You get his redemption. Like, that's amazing, folks. You got to think, like, these are cliches that we have to shake us, ourselves from our slumber, and we have to say, wait a minute, hold on. God is with us. He is with us. He's in us. We are carriers of his very presence. We have a new identity. It's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, right? Because I've been crucified with Christ, the life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's like, I don't live anymore. My old, the old Gary isn't existing anymore. I ran into someone a number of years ago downtown Fredericton who I hadn't seen since my high school days, and I became a Christian after my third year of university. Stop and pause. If you're in university, these are your formative years where you seriously, you need to sort out this stuff. 
because these are the years that you have the pause to be able to get this in your heart, in your mind, and understand that this, these, these times for you are critical. These times for you, these will set into motion the rest of your life, your destiny, if you're in university. It's not just, I'm just picking on you university-aged people, right? And third-year university, I gave my life to Jesus. I don't have time to go into it. I ran into someone downtown who I hadn't seen in a long time, and they said, uh, and this is kind of what they said. In fact, it was what they said. It's like, uh, you're not the Gary Gallant that I knew. I said, oh, yeah. Well, first off, um, I've talked to you for five minutes and you haven't cursed the blue streak. Oh, I kind of didn't really realize. Not that that's, but I just, that fell away. Now, there's, I'll be honest, there's every so often, you know, it's like, if I whack my thumb really good with the hammer. <laughs> but this was my vocabulary. One of my buddies who wasn't a Christian when I wasn't a Christian, we'd be hanging out, and he stopped me one day. He says, Gary, man, it's like, you know, you curse a lot. And it, this is a guy who didn't know Jesus, right? And I was like, yeah, I guess I do. You know, I had a pretty foul mouth. But it wasn't just that. It's just like, like you're not, like, you used to always be stoned all the time. You used to always, and that was just me was me. Not anymore. You see? It's a new, you have a new life. You have a new identity. I do not set aside the grace of God, Galatians 2.21. Sometimes we don't read this one. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, in other words, through my own attempts, through my own strivings, if righteousness could be given that way by my own efforts, then guess what? Christ died for nothing. You might as well stay home. Christ died for nothing. That's not the case. Right? You can't earn your way to God. You can't, by your own efforts, get anywhere. Since we live by the Spirit, let's, uh, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, He's given His Spirit to us. And so Galatians 5 says, we have the Spirit, let's stay in step with Him. I like that analogy. It's like, let's stay in step with Him. Let's walk with Him. You see, because fruit is produced, so here comes the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is produced because of that. Fruit isn't produced because we're trying to do something for God. The natural outworking of the walking in step with the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, self-control. Those are the things that are produced when we walk in step with the Spirit, you don't have, you know, I don't, I don't see apple trees in the fall of the year. Like, you don't walk on, man, these apple trees are working hard today, and the apple trees are up there. Ugh. Okay, come on, apples. They don't have to do that. They do what do they do. We'll get to this one in a moment, too. They just hang there. Number one, God is with us. He's with us. Number two, He strengthens us. Ephesians 3.16. See, sometimes you just, Scripture just preaches itself, right? I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power 
through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp what? Through the spirit we grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. And to know his love surpasses knowledge, that he may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, he strengthens us by his spirit internally. He gives us what we need so we know the depths of his love. I mean, I don't even think we can scratch the surface of the depths. But he is there. Supernatural strengthening happens by his spirit. Strength to withstand in difficult days and times. And to know that it is the love of Christ that compels us in 2 Peter chapter 5. God's love has been poured out in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. You see, he strengthens us by his love. And hope doesn't put us to shame. And right after that, he says, you know what? Because God's love has been poured into your hearts by the Spirit, you can persevere. You have the strength to go through the stuff. Anybody been through some stuff this year? Mm Mm-hmm. But God's love compels us, strengthens you, strengthens me. Number three, he gives us courage. See, the most important one, pause, the most important one, God is with us. These next ones, they're like the side benefits of that, right? God is with us, therefore I am strengthened by his love. I have courage in this age. In the New Testament, the Greek word for encouragement is paraklesis. It's an extremely closely related word to the Greek word for the Holy Spirit, which is paraclete. Not paracletes, in case you're rugby like the Baba. It's not talking about cleats, buddy. We're talking about paraclete. It's a Greek word. It's not talking about rugby, okay? So you can forget about pair of cleats and just paraclete, okay? We only pick on the ones we love, right? It's, it's very close. So paraclesis, encouragement is very close to paraclete. But listen to this. Para comes or means to come alongside. So the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He's in us. He comes alongside us. We walk in step with the Spirit. Like the scriptures don't contradict themselves. So someone who encourages another comes alongside the person they want to encourage and gives them courage. Klesis means a calling near, a summons, a call for help, an exhortation, admonition, or a consolation. So you put the two together, you have someone who comes alongside, not just for a walk, hey, I'm with you, but they come alongside for a purpose. They come alongside because there is something to do. And the obvious thing that we need to note here is that we are tied to the Spirit and to community. We're tied to each other, right? Like you can't, it's obvious, you you must be in community. You have got to, there's no lone rangers. You've got to be paraclesis to one another because the paraclete lives within you. And that's what he's about. He's about walking with you, encouraging you, sometimes admonishing us. 
But we have to be that to one another. See, that's the whole thing. Those are about 10 messages in themselves. We need each other. The word for encouragement can be said to be someone who comes alongside. We must be that person. We must be that church. We give others the courage to carry on. There have been some in our fellowship over the past number of years who I felt God prompting me to be paraclesis to them, to be the encourager, to come alongside, to help them walk. And I know that many of you have been that to many people. Can I encourage us? Because God is promising us that he gives us courage by his spirit. We must continue to do that. Thirdly, he will never leave us nor forsake us. The permanency of his presence with us is true. We remain in him, in Christ. In Isaiah 49, 14, it says, But Zion said, so Zion, the children of Israel, The Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forgotten me. Have you been in a place, and I'm not, I don't need an answer, have you been in a place in this past year, two years, three years, ten years, where you say, you know what, the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forgotten me. The response of the Lord is, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Even if you forget him, he will not forget you because he is faithful. He is faithful. See, I love this. It's on too many coffee cups and we lose it. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. That is an amen, isn't it? He's engraved your name. He's engraved, it doesn't even say, it says engraved you. It doesn't say engraved your name. It's, he's engraved you. Like, you're part of him. How can he shake you aside? He can't. He won't. He's with us. He strengthens us. He gives us courage. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never leave us or forsake us. As we're in this period of consolidation, he's moving us forward together. And he says, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and get this. This is what is the deal for him, like never leaving us. He has set his seal of ownership on you, on me, on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. John referred to it this morning. We're going to go through a door someday and we're going to be with Jesus forever. That's what's to come. But the deposit of the spirit now is the seal guaranteeing that. He's with you. He sealed you with the Spirit. It's a done deal. Ephesians chapter 1 says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Folks, he is 
with us. He is with you. No matter what your circumstance is today, He is with you. He gives you strength. It's His promise to you. It's His promise to me. He gives us courage. And He will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. There are some of you in this room who have been abandoned in your life. You may have been abandoned by a parent. You may have been abandoned by a husband or a wife. You may have been abandoned by your friends. There is one that I know who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Jesus promised, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Christ Central, know that God is with us because he is in us. You see, the challenge they had going into the promised land and the reason why they failed is because God led them, great, but God wasn't in them. The purpose of the cross, yes, is forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't end there. It's because it opened up the possibility and then the reality of his presence in our lives, and that has been restored to us. And folks, as a church, that is the, what we, that's the message we preach. We preach Christ and him crucified, and by his sacrifice on the cross, we can help others to experience forgiveness, and the reality of his presence. Let's stand together. And I feel this morning, we, Joe and I better, do you want to do a ministry time this morning? We could probably pray for some people after, but the first thing, I, I, all I want to do, and then I'm going to turn it over to Joe. I just feel like I'd like to lead us in a prayer together, just appropriating those four promises. Are you good with that? And let's take, let's take a moment and let's agree with the promises of God over your lives. For some of you, this could be a first-time thing. So I know, I've, never, I've never really heard about this before. Well, this message is for you. And so, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you. We know why your presence is with us, in us. And this morning, we just want to agree with your promise that says that you are with us. I just feel like you need to verbalize that. Say, God, I believe your promise. I believe that you're with me. I believe that you're with us. Just go ahead and just verbalize that. It's important. The confession of our mouth, God, I believe you're with me. I believe you're with us, with our church. I believe that you go wherever we go, that you are with us, you're in us by virtue of the fact of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his shed blood, his resurrection, his ascension, and the pouring out of his spirit to us, the church, Father, you are with us. We agree with your promise. Lord, we agree that you strengthen us. You're the only one that truly gives us strength. You just tell them that. Some of you are weak. Some of you are feeling weary. You need to bring, come in line with God's word and his promise that he's the one that's going to strengthen you. So I, I agree with your word that you strengthen me in the time of weakness, that you're the one, you give me strength. Lord, you give me courage. Lord, I agree with your word that says you are the courage giver. You encourage me. You come alongside of me and you encourage me and you help me to keep moving. And Father, we agree with your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Some of you have kind of wavered on that one. 
You need to nail that one today. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you struggle with some of the things that you've done. Jesus says, you know what? I forgive them, taken care of them. I took them upon myself. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from my presence. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've engraved you in the palm of my hands. Lord, I pray for our people. I pray for this church of which I'm a part. God, I pray right now that you would solidify these words in our heart today. In the name of Jesus, amen.